What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is, well, me. I've been getting a lot of questions from new listeners regarding my time in LA and asking for any sort of advice on how to make strides in their drumming career. And while I certainly don't think I am an authority on that matter, I still welcome these conversations. That being said, I wanted to upload this episode as a good reference for what I tend to say time and time again. I also acknowledge that my favorite podcasts are my favorite podcasts because I feel like I know the host. And while I keep these conversations pretty casual, I don't really talk about myself and my history too much. So a few months back, I had Ryan Seaman on the show. And by the way, I love that episode. Please go check it out on this feed. But Ryan has his own show on Adobe Radio called Ryan Seaman and Friends. So when we recorded this, I want to say back in October of 2022, it was a day off for me on tour and we both had enough time to do back-to-back interviews. So right after he was on my show, I hopped on his show to talk about my story as a drummer and offer some advice of varying credibility. So I hope you enjoy getting to know me a little bit better and we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming soon, I promise. Also, please email me at ben at bigfatsnaredrum.com at any time to offer suggestions for the show, like comments, concerns, guest recommendations, congratulations on being your favorite podcast, whatever you want. I've had some really nice people reach out as of late, and it truly means the world. You know who you are. Thank you. I don't take any of it for granted. Anyways, enough about me. Here's an episode all about me. Cheers. Okay, we're back with another episode of Ryan Seaman and Friends. And, uh, you know, I got to say, we were testing out the quality of the sound on this week's episode. And it sounds like he's like right next to me, but he, but he's not. He's like in uh, North Carolina, I believe. And by the time this comes yep. out, he will. Yep. And by the time this comes out, he will not be anywhere near there. And maybe he'll be back home in Los Angeles. But this week, I have drummer uh, Ben Hilsinger from the band Eve Six and Cannons. Ben, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on my show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, dude. I'm stoked, man. Yeah, I, I know we've been trying to do this for a little bit, but I just our schedules have been, uh, you know, conflicting because you know we're both touring drummers, so it happens like that. So, um, well, Ben, so so the reason why I wanted to have this show is because it gets me to know just people that I've come in contact with in music better, or they, they could be like an actor or they could be like just any, anything that has some sort of successful merit behind them. And I just want to know like how they get from like point A to point B, because I feel like we all kind of have like similar stories, but it's really nice to know the people I'm talking to story. So I get to know my, my friends better, you know, get, mm-hmm. to know, get to know people that I've been around in music. So amen uh, to that dude. Yeah. Well, Ben, so take me from like, I want to say, I don't want to say like the very beginning, not like the inception of, of Ben, but I mean like, take me <laughs> when to- When a mommy and a daddy yeah. love each other <laughs> yeah, very yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take me to like when, like when did you start playing? Like where did you grow up? How did this all start for you? Well, so my dad's a drummer. Okay. Um, I grew up in Washington state, basically Canada, north of Spokane, Washington, like a podunk town of like a thousand people. Uh-huh. And I was lucky that we didn't have that many people in- my town because I was like the only drummer. So I was, I was the one that like got to play on the drum set and pet band. I was the first chair in jazz band. I was, had all the cool snare parts in, in, in like concert band, you know? And so I was just like, that was my identity from the second that there was a chance to have that as an identity. And so, cause there's so many friends growing up that were way better drummers than me, but they were in like a school with like 5,000 people. So they like okay. weren't able to actually get the practice. So was always a drummer. When I graduated high school, I was actually going to be an occupational therapist because my sister has some special needs and I was really, oh, we were okay. really close and I just wanted to do, do that. She had some complications when she was younger. So that was going to be my life path. And then I just kept playing in local bands and decided to not go to the next quarter of college and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I ended up actually going to school for winemaking for a few years in Seattle oh, in, wow. my, okay. in my 20s. Totally was not really playing drums that much um, after you know being in those local bands for a few years. Toured a little bit, band called If You're Lucky, band called Rental Fifty Eight. Okay, they're on Spotify, but I mean they're just you know shitty little local bands. Oh, by the way, can I cuss on here? Yes, you asked yes, me about my <laughs> yes, you can. Okay. So for those that don't know, I was on Ben's uh, show. You know, not that yeah. long ago. I don't know when that's coming out either. But I was just on your show, so we're just kind of doing this like back to back thing where like 
I'm on his show and then he's on my show. Well, That's, mine is coming out. The yeah. the one with you on is coming out like a day after we record it. So I, I'm oh. not sure when this is <laughs> okay. coming out, but probably months ago. Okay. You've been, you've been live on my feed for a while now. That's great. But um, okay. yeah, so I moved to Seattle from Spokane area in like 2013-ish. I okay. went to school for wine. Yeah. And then we didn't really talk about it on my podcast, but so Mike Carrera, a mutual friend of ours, yes. when I was over there going to school for wine, we had a friend, his name is Levi. He had recorded with Mike at Monkey Trench way back in the day. And Mike had reached out to him saying, hey, I'm, you know, at this point, I think it's pretty much public knowledge, but Yuri had kind of stepped away from MXPX for a little bit. And so Mike was just trying to stay busy in the studio. Didn't really know what it was going to be, but he was just looking for anyone to kind of come play with. And so I went over there a few times and just, we just messed around a little bit. And, and it was one time where it was like getting late and I had to go take the ferry back from Bremerton to get to school. And I was just like, at that point, I had walked away from music for a little bit. And I had the dilemma of like staying in this situation, at least for, for just that day to hang out with Mike. And we were like writing this fun song or go to school for wine. And I was like, what am I doing? I'm in my mid twenties. I love playing drums. Why am I walking away from music? I can always go to school for wine. So I'll actually, well, me and the Mike thing never really came to fruition of any record or anything like that. Cause I ended up moving to LA. I will always thank my career for whether he knows it or not, the reason that I quit school and decided to get back into music. Um, wow. And so, yeah, love Mike. He's, he's always going to be a big part of my life. So anyways, yeah, after that kind of fizzled, cause then Yuri came back to the band as everyone knows, MXPX still plays live shows. I started playing with more Seattle bands and we ended up moving. Well, there's a band called ever. So Android in 2016, I moved down to LA from Seattle mm -hmm. with that band, played with them for about a year. And then I just really enjoyed playing with a million other people. Not that I didn't love playing with them, but I liked being that chameleon and, and yeah. meeting people and doing the whole LA freelance drummer thing. And so they basically, it was, it was a two piece and they decided we want a drummer who is just obsessed with us. It's ride or die for just our band, which I'm still great friends with them. We actually have dinner quite a bit. And so it was a mutual parting, but at that point, that's when I started to just play around town a lot in LA and had to pay my dues that way. Right. And so I was working at this restaurant called La Poubelle which is in Hollywood. It's kind of a place to be seen where comedians and musicians go. It's like this old, I don't want to say trashy, but dive bar French restaurant. Yeah. I mean, La Poubelle literally means the trash can. But I <laughs> okay. met this guy while I was serving. Yeah. I will keep his name nameless. Okay. But um, he had wanted me to play with him. He heard I was a drummer and he would always come in three sheets to the wind. And so I was always like, he's a good guy, but I was always like, man, you're always like so drunk when you come in. So I'd kind and of that avoided man, that man, ladies and gentlemen was named Fred Durst. He, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's I'm, Fred. I'm, no, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> he wanted me to play at his jazz night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. No, it's okay. So um, you get the joke. Okay, good. I'm, I'm just playing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He has a fucking jazz yeah. night. I didn't even know that for like the longest time. He had a jazz night at Black it's Rabbit insane. Rose. He is yeah. a man. For sure. Yep. Okay. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I just wanted. To make I love that. me some Fred. No, yeah. no, that was a good. That was a good deviation. <laughs> All right. So yeah. So I find that I ended up playing with this guy, and he had an amazing voice, and we decided to record a demo. Um, and so there was this guy named Kenny Carkeet, who maybe you know Kenny. I don't. He was one of the original members in AWOL Nation. Huh. One of my favorite people, and also someone who I wouldn't be anywhere where I am today without Kenny, but. Kenny had done like kind of a barter system with this guy where this guy was allowing Kenny to use his practice space for a live show they were doing. And then in return, Kenny was going to let him come to his studio in Santa Monica at the time. And Kenny was going to produce the session. And so that was the session that uh, we were going to go and Kenny was going to produce. So we go in there and the song was cool. It, the session went well, but me and Kenny just producer drummer, we just clicked. He would just like, okay. well, try this, try this. And you, you know how it goes. Sometimes sure. it's just like musically you're like on the same wavelength. And so after that session, I had DM'd Kenny on Instagram. This is again, back in like 2017. And I was like, Hey man, if you ever need any, you know, at that point, at this point he had just left AWOL nation. So he was like, oh, this, okay. like, Oh, he's the coolest guy in the world. And I was like, you know, if you ever need a drummer for another session, like, as you do, you follow sure. up with people, it's, it's a business. And then a month later he was in this band or he was, uh, in a band called Fitness, and ah, okay. the lead yeah. singer in that band was Max Collins from Eve Six. Right, and so 
he called me up and said, Hey, the drummer that we're currently playing with isn't working out. Would you want to come play this Vegas show with us? You know, just to have fun. Of course I said yes. And then that started a three and a half year uh, history with, with fitness. And then when Tony, the original drummer for Eve six left in 2018, Max asked me to join Eve six and I've been with them for four plus years now. And then John, who is the guitarist in Eve Six, mm-hmm. is the manager for uh, the band I'm currently on tour with, Cannons. That's crazy. Um, okay. And so yeah, when they were looking for a live drummer, because I we had they had toured with co-headlined a tour maybe three years ago with me and a band called uh, Party Nails, and they killed it. You mm-hmm. know, Paul, the uh, the now keyboardist live and bassist live. Who, if you're looking, he's actually behind yeah. me right now, so uh-huh. I can't talk. I got to say only nice things. Right. This is the edited version. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. But no, when they were looking for a drummer, because Paul is a great drummer, but he live, he plays bass and keys and whatnot. And so they needed a drummer about maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, I got the call and then they've just blown up. They've, they're on yeah. Columbia now. And while Eve Six, I'm not a member of Cannons. I am a member of Eve Six. Cannons has definitely become my full-time gig. Um, sure. They are hitting the ground running. This is our fourth full US tour in less than 11 months. Um, wow. So we're just out here doing our thing, but still, still play with other people around town, but I'm rarely in town to do it. So right now, Cannons is my main gig. Um, but yeah, it all stemmed from that session I said yes to with Kenny Carkey. So that's, I guess, the truncated version of wow. where I am today. Okay. So that was, that was really well put, man. All right. And we are out of time. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> no, you, you did that. I got to be honest. You did that so great that like, I mean, I have, I have tons of questions. Just how, so Oh, okay. Awesome. What, well, first off, I, I need to go. F- I, I wanted to let you, you know, finish your entire story. But like, what what made you interested in in wine? That's a great question. And I guess <laughs> I would say, when I had f- so one of those bands, Rental Fifty Eight, I, yeah. I had been in a, a town called Corvallis, Oregon, which is just a little bit south of Portland, Oregon. Okay. That's where kind of our home base was. And you know, it was in my early 20s. So I was kind of burning the candle at both ends. And right. I was like, do I want to be a, mu- a touring musician? At that point, it was punk rock. So we were in vans, sleeping on floors, yeah. sleeping on the floor of your van, all that jazz. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in the summer that I moved back from Corvallis to my hometown of Spokane at the time, I was like, maybe I don't want to be a musician anymore. Uh, maybe the, maybe that's what a high schooler wants to do, whatever. And so I had a summer job at this place called Arborcrest because I literally just went, it wasn't on Craigslist, but it was some website where they were doing local ads and this, this winery called Arborcrest in Spokane was doing like their summer concert series. They needed workers to pour wine. Okay. And so I was like, oh, at that point I liked wine. You know, okay. I've never really been a big liquor guy. Um, I kind of like beer, but wine was always at the dinner table growing up, you know, and so... I just always liked wine and I never yep. got in trouble with wine. So I was like, okay, I can go have a not troublesome summer job at sure. working at a winery and I'll be classy. Maybe I'll meet, you know, some cool people. Cause there was a bunch of young people working there and it was a hip winery, I guess right. you would say. I started working there for the summer. And then while I was still going to school in the fall, they offered me the, like a, a job to help them with harvesting, okay. which is like when the grapes come in, you actually crush them, make it into juice, ferment that into wine. Mm-hmm. And I seriously just fell in love with it. So I just started working there full time for about a year and a half. And then that's when I was like, okay, I'm a young guy. I hate how certain people, older people mm-hmm. use wine as a way to make other people feel stupid. Right. And I love the fact that I'm not sure if you were, you know, can relate. I would assume you do because you're a go-getter. Like when you become interested in something, I just become obsessed with it yeah. knowledge-wise. 100%. And so I just became the dude that knew everything about wine. And so they gave me a lot more shifts. Even when I wasn't working at the actual facility making the wine, they'd want me to work at the tasting room a lot because they were like, dude, this kid just is a geek about wine. Right. And one of my favorite things was to get like the guys to come in that they, you know, I only drink Coors Light because, you know, all wine tastes the same. And those were the dudes that I would just beeline to and be like, all right, well, here's like, taste these two. These taste different, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd walk out being like, that guy didn't make me feel stupid. Yeah. They do taste different. This is great. And so I was like, oh, I want to be this young, cool guy with tattoos in the industry that makes wine approachable to people. And I just had this, that was my MO going in. So I was going to go to school. I was going to be this like, ex-musician meets winemaker guy that would have this hip, cool winery. And then my career ruined all that. (laughs) In the the best possible way. 
Hey, y'all. I wanted to... (laughs) I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, so like, I mean, how did you get, okay. So my, my interaction with Mike. So like, again, I was a huge, I'm sure he knows this by now when I was growing up, like again, the faster, the band, the better, just, just as far as punk sure. rock goes, like they were way faster than no effects or Pennywise or any, any of the bands that played like the, the really fast punk beats. You know, I discovered MXPX on like, uh, I think, I think it was the show 120 minutes and it was the song chick magnet. Mm. And and so and so then mm. then I then I just kept like following them from that and then like the first time I ever saw them was they, they put like Warp Tour like '98 <laughs> or something and then they're like we're coming back with Blink 182 and so then I saw like Blink 182 and like them and Homegrown I don't know if you remember that band and so and then again just like all these shows I would go to just like open my eyes and ears to like just everything else in in that in that era and so um I ended up touring with MXPX in 2002 so I was like I graduated high school. Uh, that, that, that's the year I graduated. And so I went straight on to warp tour because there was this like all girl punk rock band called the eyeliners. And they wanted me to, okay. they wanted me to be like the, uh, the hired guy and the drummer, uh, Laura, she was playing, she'd play drums and sing at the same time. But I guess like it wasn't translating live for them. So they wanted to move her to the front and then just have like a, a touring drummer. And so I was that guy and they knew me because I was like, Every, every we were basically like the token support band for like every punk rock band that would come through Salt Lake City. I was in a band called the Teen Tragedies, and so we would literally open up for okay. everybody. We'd open up for like Tsunami Bomb or AFI or Mr. T Experience, Amberetta or American Steel. I don't know if I'm naming off bands that no one's ever heard of, but it was like the Lookout Records age for for music. And this is like you know late '90s, early 2000s when I was doing this. I remember emailing the Eyeliners. We we went on like some like DIY you know, self-book tour, Teen Tragedies, and I, and I. And so the eyeliners came to watch us in, like, New Mexico, where they're from, at, like, the launch pad. And I remember there, and we booked this stuff mm-hmm. ourselves. There was this website we used to use uh, called bookyourownfuckinglife.org. I don't know if you've ever, if you've, have you ever had to use that growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. see, those are the questions I want to ask you, too. It's just, like, you know, when you're in a band, it's, like, how do you, so for me, it's, like, it's not just, like, well, I just got into a band, and, you know, the rest is history, and, like, I just, dude, I've literally have had to learn how to do everything from, like, zero. Like, how do I book a show? How do I get to, you know, go on tour? How do I get to market the Make tour? a flyer graphically. Yeah. I don't know how to, everything. Right, yeah. So this is all stuff I was, like, learning how to do. And so then, like, I remember after this, like, tour at the Teen Tragedies at the time, like, we're all friends now, but I remember at the time we were just like, man, we really hate each other. This sucks, you know? And so, like, I quit the band, and I emailed the eyeliners, and the email was just kind of a new thing, you know, within, like, a couple years of me doing this. So I, I emailed them saying, like, hey, like, Thanks for coming out to our show in New Mexico. Anytime you guys come back to Salt Lake, let's hang out. You know, maybe we can go grab like pizza again at this place called The Pie in Salt Lake City. It still exists. Oh, yeah. You been to The Pie? Where you walk down the stairs yes. and it's like the totally. huge, we always had the big one. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dude, 
So that was like a staple for us. Like we'd always go to the mm-hmm. pie after the shows. So, um, so I was like, Hey, next time you come, maybe we can go to the pie or whatever. And so the gel was the guitar player and she wrote me back and was like, Hey, well, you know, we're trying to move our sister Laura up to the front. You know, maybe you want to come and try out and play drums. Like we did this like rotating drummer chair. And so I knew going into it that I wasn't going to be like their full-time guy. They just wanted to use like a bunch of different people, like their friends. And I, I think I was up against, uh, Hunter from AFI. So he plays bass for AFI, but sometimes he's a drummer. <laughs> so um, I was up against, I, gave, I think I was up against him and then they just, they just took me out. And so um, I tried out, I flew down to New Mexico and our, our show was with uh, Lisa Loeb. That was like my first like introduction to the band. And so we opened up for Lisa Loeb and then they're like, Hey, do you want to do, you want to do the next tour with us? We're, we're going on the warp tour. And I was like, what? Like you guys are going on a warp tour. And so, and then like they got a tour bus and we, we were sharing with flogging Molly and this is like five days after I graduated. Oh my God, high, dude. Yeah, this is like five days after I graduated high school. So th- this would have been my, um, so at 18, this would have been my fourth tour I ever did. Cause I did like, cause I, I toured while I was in high school. I'd ha- have to get like permission slips and like all sorts of weird hoops and, and whatever. But yeah, at that age I, I went, so I went out with the eyeliners and then, and then I met Mike Carrera that summer. Sorry, this all comes back to Mike Carrera. So I met him that summer, <laughs> but you know, he and I just like, you know, he gave me like his email number and all that stuff, but I don't think like he and I became like close, close until maybe like seven years later or something like that. Like I, I just kept like, we just kept like talking to each other a little bit here and there, but then he would like invite me to come to a studio and he'd invite me to come to his podcast and he'd invite me to like come record songs with him. And he's dude, he's just like the coolest guy ever. He's so down to earth and there's nobody like him. And I just, you know, they, they, they say, don't meet your heroes or whatever, but he's been like a really rad influential guy in, in my life as well. You know, we also recorded Such a couple of songs. insane that, bass player too. No, for he, sure. He rips. He definitely has a few, like he's, he showcased a little more in Goldfinger, uh, but dude, I just would see him riff and I'm like, dude, I had no idea how good you were. And the, speaking of Chick right. Magnet, that was the first song I ever learned on bass. I thought I was the coolest guy in oh, jazz so, band. Yeah, I play, I play bass too. So like, that, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not just, the, I'm not just the drummer. In fact, my, um, my band teacher at the time told me that when I was in high school, he didn't want me playing drums in the jazz band. He wanted me playing bass. So I played bass in our jazz band. And then like for, for pep band or like concert band, then I was in like the, you know, the rhythm section, you know, the percussion mm-hmm. section. Fucking crazy. Damn, man. dude. Okay. So take me from when you were in Spokane or like near Spokane, Washington. I mean, like, how did you get out and like play shit? Like, how did you like start a band? Like, how did you like get the word out? Because there's a lot. Of, okay. There's a lot of people that listen to the show that are trying to figure out how to do what you and I do. Right. Yeah. Like, how did you, how did you do that when you're in high school? Like, how did you meet people? How did you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how did you make yeah. the leap? Like, you're like, you know what? I'm going to move to Seattle. Cause like, I guess the next biggest town for music to happen, like in your, you know, area would be Seattle, I guess, even though like, yeah. it's gotta be hard to like, even just, it, it's hard to start bands anywhere. And, and, and it depends on like the climate of just whatever's happening at the time too. And like whatever kind of music is popping off or whatever, whatever like genre you want to be a part of. So, I mean, like, how did that work for you? Well, in high school, we were the kids that were in the band. The band was, if you're lucky. So we, I think we even played the like we played at like an assembly or two. It was insane. Right. And like on the, on the last day of school, when people were leaving early or whatever, we'd like played in the cafeteria. So we were like hustlers and we were like passing out our CDs okay. when we, when we graduated and went to Spokane. So I was basically in one main band in Spokane, but I mean, we had to do all the pay for play stuff as well. So we mm-hmm. would just, we were, that was really at the advent of MySpace. So we were really trying to figure out that new whole Okay. how the West was one kind of vibe of that. But right. I forget the guy's last name, but we really befriended the main dude who booked almost all the venues. His name was Ryan. And we just basically- Wait a Hold on. Hold on. Did he work at like a print shop? Did he work at like a Xerox kind of a place? Because there was this guy that put on all the shows in Spokane. I think he might've been, yeah. Then, we, then I know exactly who you're talking about. Because he yeah. booked all the shows. He was like the he guy. He did. Wow. Yep. Okay. Dude, this um, is insane how, how small the world is. Okay. So yeah, we would just go to house parties all the yeah. time at his place. And like, whether you're drinking or not, you would just meet everyone in the scene. And so you would share shows. I mean, we would saturate the market. Nowadays, we're always talking about like, every band I'm in, radius clauses and blah, blah, right. blah. We were just like, no, we're going to play 15,000 shows every weekend. <laughs> yeah. um, and we just like get our name in people's mouths or like they couldn't walk by a venue without seeing our band's name on it business model 101 the exact opposite of what you should do (laughs) but that's yeah i mean like we would 
you know, cut things out, make graphics for our, our flyers. I don't know how specific you want me to go, but it's just like we would do everything so DIY. We would use cakewalk. And well, I will say our the basis in our band, his parents had just recently got a divorce. And so we were reaping the benefits as a band because they would just be like, well, here's an amp. Well, here's a full PA. Oh, here's a mixer system. Here's a full thing of microphones to like win over his love. Sure. (laughs) And so we were just like, I don't know. I think uh, we had a pretty nice little setup for a while just to, I will say this. So in our, in our hometown of of Chihuahua, (laughs) we, there was this place called the Chihuahua Casino and they had this old decrepit outdoor amphitheater basically okay. that was like three slabs of concrete with like wooden poles you could maybe hang lights on but it was like so bare bones i think they had meant to make it into something bigger but they had just let it over like the grass was basically to my shoulders okay and we had a we had approached them because chihuahua every every summer has this thing called um Oh my gosh. It's Chautauqua. Oh. It's called Chautauqua. Okay. And you know, 10, 15,000 people come through that town on just that weekend. Um, and they're always looking for things to do at night. So we're like, well, let's actually just put on, we had since graduated, we were living in Spokane. We're like, let's go back to Chihuahua and let's put on this, this DIY show. Let's, let's okay. approach the casino. We're going to offer them. We'll pay you a hundred bucks. We'll mow the entire amphitheater. My dad brought his tractor in. We basically made this thing immaculate. And then we rented a a van and we became a float in the parade that day. And we just like drove behind, like, I don't know, the, the Miss Chuila pageant float. We had like speakers and we were like, Hey, what's up? We're, this is our band come to the show tonight. And we were just uh, one of the key things in the parade. Um, yeah. And then we put on a show, I think like three or 400 kids came out that didn't know us. And it was, a, it was a success. That's great. But it was just, we would just create, made, made our own everything. Right. Um, hired a sound guy, built it from scratch. We had to like source the power from the casino and run it like 400 yards to the <laughs> amphitheater. It was insane. So you, dude. So you, and you something I would never do nowadays. Now right. I'm like, what's the catering budget? Where's yeah. my bottle of wine? You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, so so from there, what made you decide like okay, so you you done everything that you could do in your in your local town, but like what what gave you the courage to just go, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to move to Seattle now. You know, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to do this out there." I know that I know there was like school was like a little bit involved, but like what was what was like the thing that that brought you there? Well, so yeah, it actually was wine school. Yeah. And so I was getting out of Spokane, but then the mic thing happened and I decided to stop going to school and I yeah. didn't I wasn't putting all my eggs in the Mike basket because Mike has his own career. Sure. Um, and it wasn't like we were starting a band together. So I was like, okay, well, I still have to play with people. And so, right. yeah, Seattle was just the way to go. I didn't know if I was, me and a girlfriend I had moved over to Seattle with had broken up. So I didn't have to stay in Seattle, but I just really fell in love with that scene. Ultimately, I decided to move to LA because Seattle. It only had so much to offer or what? It was just like that. Yeah. And I don't want to dis- I mean, granted I moved to, you know, LA in 2016, so I can't talk right. about the Seattle music scene as it is now. So that have that be a little disclaimer, but I felt that in a lot of ways, talking about commerce and being in a band at the same time up in Seattle was kind of this negative thing. Okay. And we were like, well, we want to make a career out of it. So being in LA, if someone calls me up and it's like, Hey, I want you to play a show. It's not weird for me to be like, awesome. What's the budget? What are we, you know, what, what are we talking about? But in Seattle, it felt like that was something that was like, you know what, man, we're going to go with someone else that cares about the music first. And I'm like, I, I do, gotcha. but I also have to pay my bills. But yeah, Seattle is, uh, is a really cool scene and there's nothing off limits, I guess. Um, I know a lot of people associate it with grunge music, but um, it's really a lot more than that. I love the Seattle music scene uh, from an artist's perspective for the venues that are still around. Yeah, because um, a lot of them are not there anymore, uh, even in the four years or five years, probably almost six years since I've been in L.A. So not sure if that answered your question. But yeah, no, I'm, I was going to say like some of some of the underground spots that I would play in Seattle were like I wouldn't even call it really underground. But the places I was able to go, even like as a DIY band was like it used to be called Graceland back in the day. But now it's called El Corazon, you know? Yep, And it was like the exit. Oh, the, oh, the off ramp. The I think off-ramp, before it yeah. was called Graceland. Yeah. yeah. So I knew it as I knew it as Graceland because I remember I remember going up there and seeing like a couple shows when I was in high school because one of my best friends at the time, his uh, his mom lived up there. So we went up there for like spring break. You know, we also planned like a little tour around. I had this, I had this band that I did, um, where I was trying. I, I won't ever talk about it, but I was like singing and playing <laughs> drums. 
and we did like oh uh, I want you like, to talk about it nope and so we did well I mean I'll, t- I'll tell you the story but I won't tell you the yeah, band yeah. name I won't tell you any of that crap but like I it was oh, like man. five shows and we we planned a trip up to Seattle kind of like to go see his mom but we like booked shows along the way from Utah to up there and then um at the time this guy Will who was uh in the band Aiden I don't know if you remember that band or oh not, yeah but but yeah. um Aiden Will had this other band called Youth at Risk dude he and I go so far back only because you know, back in the day when I when I was in that band, I was telling you about the teen tragedies. He was uh, doing merch for uh, the band Zeke. Do you remember Zeke? They're like this like sounds familiar. Yeah, I think like that was thr- on a compilation that I had too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're like this like thrash metal like punk band or whatever on Epitaph. And like I remember we got asked to open up for them like in like Idaho. So we got we drove up to Idaho. Teen tragedies did, and I met Will. And Will gave me like a CD, and we we ended up like trading shows and stuff. And so. Um, we kept in contact through email and then we lost touch and then we both came to find out like, oh, we both are in like gothic horror bands, <laughs> you know, back in like 2004 <laughs> to like, you know, 2000, that, that era, 2005, 2006, whatever. But I just remember going up to Seattle playing like, you know, El Corazon when, when it was still called Graceland and then um, trying to think of where else I played like Chop Suey was up there. Uh, oh, sure. Oh, yeah, the crocodile maybe. Uh, play, yeah, definitely. Played the, I played the crocodile with, with IDK Howe. Okay. You know, and then, and then as things started to progress more, then, you know, we put, then we play like a sold out show at like, not, not, I'm talking about like much later in my career, like I Am Ghost. And then we'd like play like sold out shows at like Graceland or sorry, <laughs> El Corazon. And then we play like Soto and then we play Showbox, Mar- Market. Yeah. yeah, Market Show. And then we play like, uh, like Numos and we play, I'm just, just all, all the things, man, up there. Yeah, I love Seattle, man. I still, yes. um, Seattle's we, super uh, cool, but it seems like it seems like it'd be a really hard scene to make something happen because there's only like so many venues, right? There's only so many venues for bands to like to play, right? I mean, I, well, it was so I joined after I had kind of stopped working with Mike. There was a band called Ever So Android. They had already put out two records, and so by the time okay. I joined them, they were already at kind of like a sold out chop suey level when they would put on shows uh, before we moved down to LA, we actually had a, a record release show at Numos that was sold out. So they were doing okay. pretty well. And I mean, so how did you get was, the word out like around there with them? Is it, was it just because they were a band for so long and it's just like name repetition or was it like, I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think what, what drew did. I mean, he is drew Murray is one of my closest friends. I love him. He, while he claims he's not a big talker, he is, he can, and I don't mean this in a bad way. He can schmooze anyone. It's sure. like you just automatically feel like you're his best friend. And so everyone loved the band because sure. they would go to shows eight nights a week if they could. They were always out and they were always right. hustling their band. And I had so much respect to this day. Even when they moved to L.A., they hope uh, the singer of the band worked at Stories in Echo Park, if you know that spot. Okay. And so even within six months of them moving there, they just – they weren't strategic about it, but they just loved being a part of the scene and right. just feeling like a part of it, kind of like how I describe you. And so uh, they just genuinely were friends with everyone. And so they would go to everyone's show. And so it's kind of like a barter system. Like I'm always there to support you. Just come out to support me. Uh-huh. I think that's what a lot of the music scene in Seattle was, was sure. everyone would go to each other's shows. And even if you didn't want to go out, you're like, yeah, but they came to my show last month and <laughs> right. I got to be there for them. Totally. You know? and, I mean, what yeah. what I find in LA is that there is there is a community, but it's a community based on the people that want to be in that community. I guess if that makes if that makes any sense, like because yeah, I feel like 100%. everybody kind of knows everybody, but to like what like what degree? So I mean, like if you go to a show, it's yeah. like I, I mean, I I can probably I, I shit you not. I mean, I've been out here almost like twenty years now. I I can go to literally almost any show, whether it's a punk show or an indie show or like bit you know big show at the forum or a small show. I will probably know at least one person there. Like it's just, but but it's. I feel like in LA too. It's like if the more people that you know, it it doesn't necessarily. It just means your chances are better at, at doing the things that you want to do. Like when when we got this band started, you know, I I, I got to be honest. I mean, like with with my my last group and then you know Dallin's last group, it was like it just wasn't like fulfilling anymore. I guess, and so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we just kind you know it's just like. He, he wrote some songs and I was just, I was just out and I was like talking to some people and we made like a website where people could just like go listen to music. But it's just like, if I hadn't have like put in that kind of, cause like, dude, you can have like the best songs in the world. But if, if there's not like a cheerleader behind you, then it might not go anywhere. You could literally be Mozart. And <laughs> if people don't know about Mozart, then like Mozart probably isn't going to go anywhere. That band, the Brobex. I mean, dude, we literally, literally played for like nobody all the time. And it was like, 
just word of mouth. And it, it was just people wanted to either come or they didn't. It's just it, basically that's what I feel like that that's how music is even made in L.A. It's just like or if, if you want if you're looking for like a drum gig or you're looking for whatever, it's just, it's just word of mouth. And if you could do the, if you could do the skill. But what I was going to say was when we were starting this band, it's like we made like a little website and I would just tell like people that I trusted in, in music. And usually like I would, I would tell them and then maybe you would hear something back or maybe you wouldn't. And then with this band, it was like instantaneously like, Hey, I really love this. Like maybe let's take a meeting. And it was like, Holy shit. Like everything's kind of happening so fast. Cause I mean, the art definitely spoke for itself, but there's some people that might just not even listen to it. You know, there might be some people that do listen to it, but then they don't like it. You know? So I don't know. Absolutely. It's, it's so hard being a drummer because I mean, and I swear to God, Ben, I, I don't know how I've been able to do it this long. <laughs> You know, just like it's, it's been just like what my career has been like one thing to the next. And it's just always like, it's always progressed for me, you know? So I don't know well, if dude, it's that's, like that I've, you, I've but. loved watching your career, man. Cause I've followed you. Mike turned me on to you. I mean, he had, he, he loves you as a drummer and obviously yeah. loves you. And so you, you, you got brought up a few times. And, um, so I've been following your career for the last five, six years probably. Damn. And, uh, no, man, uh, I, I totally understand why you've had a career as long as you have. I mean, from an outside perspective, it's very obvious. You're a great player. And an awesome dude. Well, so. you're you you are also been a, a fantastic player. I've been keeping up with you. You know, I I got to see you for the first time when um, when Cannons played at the El Rey. I went with my friend Megan yes. Holiday to the show. I don't know if you know her. Love or not. Megan. Oh yeah. yeah. So Ma- Megan Megan has been a huge. Uh, she's been a huge staple in my life. She she was the one. I, I don't really talk about this all all that much, but she was the one that got me to uh, stop drinking. And so I was going to say too is what people forget sometimes is that like in music sometimes you need something to like bond over. You know, and so mm-hmm. like mine would mine would be going out and drinking with like, you know, managers or fucking artists or whatever, and we would just get like fucking smashed. But then somehow that would turn into like a job opportunity. Not that I was even like looking for that. <laughs> you know, it would just it would be like, oh, like I'm thinking of Ryan because he was like he was at the right place at the right time or or whatever it was. And it's just like I think if you're like if the, if you're at the right place at the right time and you work really hard and you have a good attitude, I think anything is possible for anybody. You know. Well, I was going to say, cause like, I don't smoke cigarettes, but uh-huh. going back to Drew, and I think he has actually cut back quite a bit, but right. I wished he's, I wished I smoked so many times cause up in Seattle, if you have a cigarette in your hand, I'm not condoning cigarettes cause I <laughs> want this to be a thing, but you just, you can just talk to anyone. It's like this thing. And I'm like, man, I wish I smoked just because that's how he met so many people sure. is in the back of the club. That's how, honestly, I would say the band of the times name ever. So Android got so many gigs. Cause he would just end up shooting the shit with people. And then right. they're like, Oh, by the way, I own the crocodile. You're a great, I love you, man. Well, mm-hmm. guys, you know, so it's that thing that just basically echoing exactly what you said, but in a less, <laughs> formulated right. way. So I agree with you is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just mean like when you moved out to LA in 2016, I mean, how long do you think you were out here before things really like started picking up for you and your career? Cause I was out here for, well, okay. Cause like when I first moved out to LA, I would say, well, I, I moved out here in 03 and then I, I just, I joined the band like the first day I moved out here, not even like trying to do, it. I mean, well, I mean, I was like trying, I really liked the band. They were called Fairview. And they were like a militia group and like they had done like a bunch of cool shit already. You know, they were like they, they did like Coachella and they played like the Mars Voltas for a show and they toured with like Nerf Herder and they did like, I don't know, they just did all the and the, they had like the management that like the guy that was like the general manager at the El Rey at the time who eventually became like, I think, like vice president of like operations over at Golden Voice, you know. So like oh, a lot wow. of cool things were happening for this band. And so I tried out day one. And then when I got there, I went to. um So I was like, okay, I guess I'm in this band, but I also moved to LA to go to a music school after I had like was drumming for the eyeliners for like a couple tours. Right. So I moved to LA in 03, went to the LA music Academy within three months. I was like, okay, I need to drop out because a, it's like super expensive. And B, I think I've already got the hang of like what this is supposed to be. But behind the scenes, it was like what I, what I then realized much later on is that the band I was in, it seemed like the singer at the time was like trying to chase after this much bigger unattainable thing that's still like kind of actually unattainable. Now he's, he's like married and has kids and all that stuff. But like, I think he was, he was, uh, his family was like, um, was well off, you know? So, you know, he didn't, he didn't have to do the the same things like you and I would have to do. So like, I had a job that like, I absolutely fucking hated, you know, I was, I was doing like telemarketing for like all state insurance and I, and I hate, I hated oh, that job wow. with a passion. And then like, I, I was working like a film vault in Hollywood, but I was traveling up from Orange County cause that's where the band lived. And like, I was really dedicated, but I mean, gas was like so much cheaper back then. It was like maybe like a dollar or something, you know, dollar gallon. So I was yeah. able to make that drive. But I remember I was hustling so hard. And then I realized like two and a half years into the band that like these people didn't want the same things that I wanted. So being out here, but I met so many people because I would just go to shows all the time. 
I talked to them about the band I was in. I would give them like demos. People would like demos, but then the band never wanted to like work. You know, I mean, we, we were able to like showcase for like a ton of different labels and we were working with like all sorts of crazy producers and getting offered like crazy production deals that were either like good or shitty. And you know, it just, we never, we never like got to take any of them. I'm just like, you know what? Like, what am I doing here? So I tried to find like-minded people that wanted to do the same things I wanted to do, but I was going to say for, so it took me about maybe like being in LA and just being around and just moving out here probably took me like two and a half years to like really make shit going for myself. You know, I, what, what was it like for you? To, Cause you said you joined Eve six. What was it, like 2018? You said, yeah, early 28, very early 2018. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you put your time in as well. Just, just being out here and just being a drummer and like doing the things that a drummer has to do. And it was, I, I got to say like being 19, it was real. It was really hard though. Cause I would like, I probably get like maybe like five hours of sleep a night and then just do the exact same things over and over again. Like I go to work and then I go to practice and then I go to a show and then I meet up with somebody and get their number and then we'd hang out and then it'd be, you know, just the, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my timeline is maybe a little bit less than yours, but again, it's just circumstantial. Right. I probably met that, that session where Kenny, you know, and me got along, asked me to be right. fitness it was probably just over two years. And then I joined fitness or sorry, then I joined Eve six a year after that. So it was probably about, and even in that first year of being in fitness, they weren't super busy. I think we did one U.S. tour, but I was still playing with like five or six other projects and still supplementing by still working at a restaurant. Yeah. But luckily, I've been doing music full time for about four years now. But yeah, it took about two years in L.A. for that to really And you were probably stick. just nailing it hard. I, I was I, I don't know about you, but I was just, I was going hard to the grind. Like it was it was to the point even where like our band would like separate and be like, okay, let's get, let's get a flyer. And like, let's, let's figure out what shows are coming to town. And we'd stand out front and we just hand out the flyers or CDRs or like whatever the fuck, you know, back in like 2005, I think when bands were able to, to do that. hundred percent dude. So, and I would say yes to every gig. Um, right. That's a trick too. I remember Josh freeze. He, he, he made, he made some quote. He's was, he was like, say yes to everything. Yeah. Just say yes well, to and like, even just now two of my close friends, um, one of them uh, plays with Billy Howardell. Wow. Um, I, I met at some random gig. Maybe you know it's Elliot Durango. I know um, Elliot. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Good so guy. he 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 just got got off tour. He's playing with Dorothy for a while, um, and then maybe you know Liv Slingerland. She plays uh, with Halsey now. Okay. Those those two people, we both said yes to these random gigs. Played in front of like seven people. Yeah. And and but now they're close friends, and we've never been able to play together again. But like in LA, <laughs> if you're around, kind of like what you were saying earlier, people that are too stupid not to quit, if that was yeah. the phrase you said, yep. if you just maintain these friendships, as long as you surround yourself with people that you have respect for, that are good at their instrument, that have the drive, they're probably going to get up there too. And then you can kind of grow together. And then you have these friends that are just doing these amazing things that you can support each other. And so at, at the beginning, me saying yes to all these random Craigslist ads saying like, need a drummer for this date. Yeah. And me saying yes to an $85 gig with a free rehearsal, you know, and like a not paid rehearsal. Right, right. Those are now people that I consider really close friends, you know? And so, totally. um, yeah, I, I think I've only said no, maybe to like, just like a handful of my, in my entire life, even like, like playing with that Dallin. I mean, like, dude, playing in Brobex, we never got paid anything. And like, and when I was playing with him, I was also playing with like a couple bigger bands that like paid, like actually paid me. And he was like, well, I can't, you know, I can't, because Brobex was really, you know, it was his band, but he brought me in because like when you're making nothing and you split nothing four ways, what is that? That's still nothing. So no, no skin off of anybody's back, you know? So yeah, I was like an equal part yeah. of that. And it was just like, he saw how hard I worked and I think he just remembered all those good times. And that's why he asked me to be a part of, of this thing. And so he, he was, he was the artistic one. I was the one that was good at talking to people, I guess, you know, um, if you were to give people advice to, just on like doing what you're doing right now, like how to get there, like what, what do you think you would tell somebody that was just wanting to do what like we do? Yeah. I ask myself that every day. Like, what would I tell myself? Um, yeah, I mean, you just got to really actually love it, you know, because, and I'm not, I'm not one of those things. I actually think it's very um, bad advice. And I, I would kind of say it's harmful for people to say, if you do what you love, you, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, going in with that mindset. And then if you find yourself in any adversity, you're like, but I thought I would, this was supposed to be only enjoyable because I love this. Mm. My work and your work is very hard sometimes. It's very yeah. stressful, but it's, I love it so much that even if it was 90% stressful, it's still all of it's enjoyable. I find something to grab out of it. And so 
I'll say this. It's all about perspective and keeping going because I really messed up my back about a week ago oh, on man. tour. And it's because I have such piss poor posture and I've been telling myself I need to switch it up for years. And so the last few shows I've had to basically sit with a, and I am kind of getting to my point, I promise. Okay. But I've had to almost sit with like a stick up my ass while I'm playing. So my back doesn't hurt. Cause I pulled a muscle and I've been, I was playing so much better. And it was like amazing. I was like, oh, I'm hitting better because my shoulders are back. Uh -huh. My body is just ergonomically working better. And immediately when something was really shitty and I was in my bunk in throbbing pain, I was oh. like, but I love this. How can I make this a positive thing? And so even if it's sucky sometimes, you have mm -hmm. to force yourself to be like, I love this. This is why I'm here. This sucks, but it's also amazing all at the same time. And so it really is, dude, you just got to, I would tell someone to just, if something crappy is going wrong, you're obviously not going to quit because you love it. I mean, if you're right. gonna, if you're even thinking about quitting, then that's not the, then that's a different kind of person I'm talking to. I guess I'm talking to someone who's like, I have to do this. How can I make it to that next level? Right. You just have to convince yourself what is amazing about this when everything else is saying that this sucks right now. And you, then you, and then you realize your life's amazing. Do you so. tend to hunch over when you play? Like, do you, do you sit low and you like hunch or? Do oh, you, dude. Yeah. If you go to any of my Instagram, I'm okay. just like, you can't see it, but it's like, I'm <laughs> sure. like a, and, and I've been to Dave Elich and I love Dave Elich. Uh -huh. I think he's amazing. In I saw, so many I ways. saw your, your post and, and stories about that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. He's great. Um, and do I acknowledge that what he's saying is true and, and correct? Yes. Do I do it? 99% <laughs> of the time? No, because right. I'm trying to look cool on stage. It's like, yeah, you know, you gotta look cool. You gotta have swagger. Um, yeah. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so I guess my advice for people like to, to, to make it is it is a, it is a game of perspective. That's 100% what it is. Because if you don't convince yourself that there's something amazing about every situation, because we do have the best job in the world, everything else kind of, there's a tributary of, of shitty things that happens if you have a shitty perspective. I still grapple with that all the time, obviously. But just the most recent back thing was like, Oh, that is what I tend to do as my fail safe is to find something good about this career that everyone wishes they could do what we do. Right. I guarantee. Yeah. So. I definitely have my days, man. I'll be like, man, what the fuck? Like what's happened? Then I think I'm like, Oh, you know what? The worst day on tour is better than the best day at an office job. That's what I have to 100%. remember. You know what I mean? Even if it's, even if it's the worst and it's just like so many of the problems that could happen or that like arise are just are so stupid, you know? Cause I feel like, music is um you don't ever really i mean maybe i'm speaking out of turn but like um you know i've been doing this now like professionally for like 20 21 years you know and so mm -hmm. but a lot of people that are in music they don't they don't actually like grow up <laughs> you know like you're just in this like you're just in this everlasting like neverland that you could literally like right now you could be doing whatever you want in um greensboro whatever greensboro north carolina that's where you are yeah yeah you could literally be yep. doing you, you can you can get trashed right now if you wanted to you could be laying down and reading a book you could be doing a podcast with your friend ryan seaman you could do whatever the fuck you want to at, when, when you're exactly. when it's on tour and it's like i was just gonna say that like I, I think that 90% of music is like bullshit. And then the 10% the of it that's really great is when we get to go play. And that's, that's yep. the time I enjoy more than anything else. Yep. That's what anything I heard else. someone say. Uh, the way they view being paid on the road is they do the show for free. You're paying me to be on the road. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah. yeah. But I will say one thing too, uh, yeah. to be a little more of a tactical thing is sure. to create your own opportunities. So I work for Big Fat Snare Drum, and Which I need to talk I to you more that. about that. I need to talk to you more about that when we're when we're done because I, I need. Yeah, to I totally board. bypassed all that, and then I yes. apologize. But oh, I do work man. for Big Fat. I know yeah. Chris, but but like, so I have a podcast as well, and it's not about who you know; it's about who knows you. To kind of go back to what you were talking right. about with drummers, and. I create this podcast to get more drummers to know who I am, to get in contact with drummers that I look up to. I created an opportunity for myself to be put in a situation where I'm having hour plus long conversations with Ash Sohn, Jojo Mayer, Daru Jones, yeah. um, James Gadsden, the best drummers in the, arguably the best drummers in the world. Yeah. And I get paid to do it because I've created so awesome. this opportunity instead of just like hoping someone figures out who I am or paying someone to take an hour of their time, give them a platform to say what they want to say. And then you get to hang out with them. Right. It's just, you have to create your own opportunities. You're not going to, it, it never happens for you. And there's a few right. people that you can post a video and then, Oh, you get asked to join a band, but like you have to really make opportunities and just follow through with them. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's right. I mean, I, I can't just be a drummer, you know? Yeah. I, that's why, that's why I have, the, I mean, it's not like solely why I have this show. I mean, I have the show so I get to know like the people that are in my life just like just a little better, you know? And now I know sure. so much more about you than I, than I ever knew before. <laughs> if I, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm sure, Ditto, man. I'm sure the same way, the same way for you. Um, well, okay. So we have about like two minutes left on the show. What, what do you, what's the best way for people to, to find you and, and check you out? Yeah. So real quick, I do have a podcast that I do for Big Fat Snare Drum. It's not to promote the company, it's but yeah. I do do it for them. Um, it's called Big Fat Five. I bring on amazing drummers like you and dissect the five records that shaped who they are as players. But yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, it's uh, at Ben Hilsinger. And I'm sure my name is spelled in the title of this episode, yep. but just at Ben Hilsinger. Um, I'm not sure when this is going out, but Cannons is on the road all the time. Eve Six is playing all the time. Hit me up there. I'm not really on TikTok or Twitter, but Instagram at Ben Hilsinger. That's, and a, there that's you amazing. Go. I need, I need, I feel like I need to start doing TikTok. I have two TikToks up there wet right now. I did like a gear breakdown, but the guy that was out with us, he just like kind of made the video for me and like edited it. And so now I'm like, oh man, if he did such a great job at this, I need to like step up my game and, <laughs> you know, yeah, figure out how to really use uh, the platform more. I just, I don't know, man. I just like the older you get, the harder things get sometimes, you know? Yeah, I'm not really on TikTok. I have enough vices. I don't right. need to be scrolling on one more social sure. media network. Yeah, I just want, because you know what? With music, it's like adapt or die. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. So you have to just yep. learn how to do do all the platforms. So, okay, well, Ben, thank you so, so much for being on the show, man. I, I really can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate it because I know being on the road, it's, it's really hard to find free time to go do things sometimes, you know? We'll have to hang when you get back in LA, man. Dude, yeah. hell yeah, man. So, all right, well, hey, coming up next, we have uh, Gon Fishkin here on Adobe Radio, and you can tune into my show, Ryan Seaman and Friends, every single Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. And uh, Ben, thanks again for being on the show. Make sure to go check out uh, Eve Six and Cannons, and that's that's all the time we have for today. So I'll see you next week here on Ryan Seaman and Friends and Adobe Radio. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.